to Business Scale Insights with Kimberly Marie Bonner. Listen for commentary, interviews, and information on how to grow your business. For all the details, contact BusinessScaleInsightsNetwork.com. So, Empire Builders, are you ready? Here's Kimberly Marie Bonner. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Business Scale Insights. I'm your host, Kimberly Bonner. And today I have with me on the podcast, Jerome Hutchinson, Hutchinson Jr. Jerome, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. He is the Chief Servant Officer of Akaba International Career and Business Alliance, which is based in Sunrise, Florida. And we are talking about the subject, um, Black Businesses Matter. So thank you so much. Uh, Hutch is his nickname. Is it okay if I call you Hutch on the interview? Yeah, please. Go right ahead. <laughs> All right, Hutch. Well, I know you very well, and you're a rock star in South Florida and in Florida circles. But a lot of people who listen to this podcast are not in this state. So could you just share a little bit more about you, um, your work, and what ACABA is all about? Sure, I'd be glad to. And first, uh, Kim, thank you for having me on your show. And, um, and so I will uh, be sure and tell my two daughters that I'm a rock star now. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're going to say, well, Daddy, who told you that? <laughs> They'll get a kick out of that. They'll get a kick yeah, out of that one. Yeah, they're like, ah, we're not buying it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, Kim, uh, we have really been uh, blessed to have you here in South Florida now. So we're so glad that you came south and got out of that cold weather. Oh, thank uh, <laughs> you. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, um, i give you a little background on, you know, me. And it kind of ties a little bit into what I do and how I got here in terms of my journey. So. Um, you know, growing up, my parents instilled a really strong commitment in both my sister and I to serve others and to value economic empowerment. My mother was a social worker and a civic leader and founded a uh, charitable organization called Clothe the Child that was really highly respected. And that charity provided clothes to indigent children to make sure that they would go to school. You know, a lot of times people didn't realize that kids sometimes did not go to school, you know, or had a really low self-esteem because they just didn't have nice clothes to wear. And I think we can all think back to how that probably is definitely a real key when we were kids. Yeah. Um, my dad was a serial entrepreneur, business and civic leader as well. And uh, he was the organizing uh, board chair of the first Black-owned bank in the state of Kentucky, where I'm oh, from. Oh, wow. 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 So I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, home of Muhammad Ali. And uh, <laughs> so we, we always throw that in there. So you can't you can't ignore Louisville, Kentucky, because we got Muhammad Ali to claim. I know that's so, right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my sister and I were taught to live out the biblical principles for we are our brother's keeper and to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, and so I kind of started my, my business career in November of 85 when we opened the uh, doors to my first business, which was called Movies Plus, which is a home entertainment store with movies and videos and music. And, uh, and then in March uh, of 96, my dad and I launched WYCS-TV, Kentucky's first black-owned TV station. 
And, uh, and so that's been a part of my, my path and then moved to South Florida uh, in 2005. And part of my journey was I launched a television station with money from a venture capital fund. Oh, my. And, uh, and as we all know, Sometimes venture capital funds become <laughs> vulture capital funds. Yeah, I didn't know that little part. I, I, yeah, no comment. <laughs> yeah. What, what, as you're laughing, I'll give you something else to laugh about. Uh, the year that uh, my company was funded through this fund, another friend of mine's business also got funded. And he came to me, you know, after the day after he closed on the uh, investment. And he said, Hutch, you know, man, a venture capital fund is nothing but a sophisticated pawn shop. Mm. <laughs> and I said, well, and I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there are some similarities there. But anyway, um, you know, I uh, um, ended up uh, at the with the television station, ended up parting ways with the with the station because of some things with the fund and uh, that's a whole nother story for a whole nother podcast, but yes. uh, ended up uh, getting into radio following there then. And I uh, thought I was just going to do that and go start another business, but that turned into a 10 year journey that took me from Louisville to Houston to Atlanta and then here to South Florida. And, um, and so in 2006, uh, my late wife and I, we launched this publication called Who's Who in Black South Florida, profiling uh, black professionals and entrepreneurs. And um, unfortunately, she died in uh, uh, November of 07. I'm sorry. As we that. were. Thank you. Thank you. So well, we actually launched the publication in 07. We started working on it in 06. And so April 07, it launched. November is unfortunately when she passed. And um and so after about six months, I decided uh, from a lot of inquiries from people, we were going to keep the effort going, you know, to start what is now known as ICABA. And, um, and a few years later, you know, one of those end of the year kind of reflective, introspective periods that we have as the new year is approaching, uh, I really began to think about, you know, who I am, what I'm doing, and is it aligned with you know, my God-given gifts and so on. And I realized that I have become a social impact entrepreneur. And given that my mother was a social worker and my dad was an entrepreneur, it's like, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> so, <laughs> so today my mission in life is to uh, feed my children and uh, uh, take care of my family and be able to provide a way for professionals and entrepreneurs of color to connect, share, and grow so that they can enhance their career, business, and lifestyle. And that's what we do at ICABA. I love that. I love that story. And I didn't know those critical pieces, uh, particularly the VC part, which we definitely have to have a whole separate conversation on a podcast about that. <laughs> okay. um, but I'd like to go back to that whole idea of this who's who uh, and was it black businesses in South Florida or just black professionals generally in 2006? Yeah, it was actually both. The title was actually Who's Who in Black South Florida. And, uh, and yes, it was uh, both professionals and entrepreneurs. Okay. So some people who are listening to this uh, broadcast might be thinking, well, Kim, why are you 
kind of focusing on um, black businesses, black professionals right now. And I just want to kind of pause um, and just insert the reason why we're focused or I'm focused on this is because of what's going on in the United States right now, whether it's the George Floyd protests, the whole idea of Black Lives Matter, even with the COVID-19 impact on black and brown bodies, we're just seeing kind of system failures as it relates to a lot of things as it relates to black people in America right now. And I thought as a black entrepreneur, it would be remiss of me not to address the elephant in the middle of the room Mm -hmm. in this podcast, because I know lots of different people listen to it. It's not just black people, not just brown people, not just Asian people, but a lot of white people listen to this podcast. And sometimes it's easier to have conversations anonymously (laughs) and plant a seed. And so I consider this podcast uh, and this podcast series part of planting a seed that is educational and inspirational. So with that said, let's go back to 2006. And I want to know why you and your wife felt all the way in 2006, why it was necessary in South Florida that is such a multicultural, quote unquote, melting pot. I was told that my entire life. I grew up here, native South Floridian. Mm -hmm. Why did you Mm -hmm. feel that it was so important to highlight the achievements of specifically the black demographic in 2006? Okay. Well, you know, I don't want to um, uh, tell a lie, so I'm not. Uh, we, We didn't do it so much quite honestly out of a um i guess you could say from a a position of that we were looking to create something for black people in south florida that wasn't here and we were trying to be noble quite honestly uh out of many things it was somewhat out of uh, a little bit of necessity okay and somewhat convenience and what i mean by that is this So when we moved here in 2005, uh, my wife was in banking and she was in private banking specifically. And uh, and she was a a very hardworking sister who had spent 12 years going to school part-time, working full-time to get her undergraduate and her graduate degree. And she had 17 years of banking experience. And every bank that she talked to when we got to South Florida says, we you know, we, we like your background, you know, you've got great credentials, but you, who do you know here in this marketplace? Mm. Of course, we just moved here. Don't know anybody, <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, yes. Um, and from the private banking standpoint, you know, they really wanted people who had Rolodex, you know, and networks and circles of influence, and we didn't have any. And uh, so, so I don't tell this, take too long to, to, to give your answer, Um I had become aware of a uh, publication that was done in Cincinnati, Ohio, before we moved here several years back by a guy named George Frazier, who you may be familiar yes, with. Yes, yes. Okay, and it was called The Success Guide. And uh, while in Louisville, I was on the board of an organization that had brought George to Louisville to speak. And, uh, and so I was involved in an effort. And um, so one day I got to thinking, I said, I'd like to maybe do something, you know, maybe like a success guide, you know, because we got to thinking about the fact that she didn't know anybody and said, well, what could we do, you know, our own business? And so that kind of came up. So 
there was a natural inf- inclination for sure to be involved in something that lifted up our community. So that was just natural for me. Um, and uh, but I found out that um, when I got George on the phone, that he was not doing the local type of publication anymore. He had gone global. And uh, but he put me in contact with a guy out of Columbus, Ohio, who was the owner of the company that we licensed the who's who franchise from to start the publication here that became who's who in black South Florida. And uh, so that's really how we got into it. Now, after we got into it, uh, we recognized that their business model, which was a annual publication combined with an annual reception to unveil the publication, pretty much was what they did. Rinse and repeat, do it again next year. Well, I determined as we were doing it and my wife and I talked about it, that there seemed to be a bigger opportunity. One, after we published the uh, directory, everybody loved it, you know, but I had a lot of people say, you know, this is really great, but boy, I really wish we could contact each other or contact right. people in, in the right. directory. So that was one thing. Secondly, uh, I began to think about how we could, um, you know, do something more with this information. You know, I'm in the radio business at that time, and I was working for urban radio stations as general sales manager who's responsible for driving revenue for these major market stations around the country. So anyway, I'll stop right there, but that's how we got into it. Uh, I think that what happened was after we got into it, where we saw the opportunity, which also led me to, you know, somewhat come to that epiphany moment that I mentioned in my introduction, if you will, that I realized that I had gotten into something that was really speaking to my core and it really has become, if you will, my mission for life. And that is to do our part in helping us as people of color to build those relationships that can really make a difference in terms of our ability to be successful, to you know, build wealth and to uh, become more um, capable from a leadership standpoint. Well, I, you've said a lot. You've- and you've said a lot in terms of, you know, the motivating factor for Akaba and obviously for the who's who um, publication may not have been, you know, this grandiose um, social, I don't know, (laughs) social scheme, but Mm -hmm. this idea that your wife who had been in banking for how long? 17, 17 years, 17 Mm -hmm. years, um, when she came to South Florida, she did not have that Rolodex, that network that right. was necessary for her to move up. And I think um, in many ways, where we're t- whether we're talking about funding and angel networks and venture capital, or we're talking mm-hmm. about professional networks, we're seeing this lack, whether it's, whether you want to call it systemic racism or just people being new New in town, there seems to be, when it comes to a lot of Black individuals who are very qualified, um, this lack of a network that can access funding, that can help build their business, that can help develop their career. And so I'm, even though you might have thought, oh, well, this is just, we're just doing this for our own, you know, personal interest the problem that you were solving was so big, right? And right. hence and hence and hence the the legs for now your organization 
Akaba. So do you get that kind of feedback from people who are members of Akaba? Do they tell you, my God, this is so necessary for our network to grow, for my network to grow, for me to develop my business or my career? Do you get that kind of feedback? Oh, all the time. And uh, and we've got uh, we've got it on video. (laughs) (laughs) I figured as much. I've seen those videos. I've seen those videos. Well, we've just actually just did a few more in the past couple of uh, days. So uh, as we're preparing for some marketing things that are coming up. But uh, to your point, uh, absolutely. You know, as a matter of fact, um, I'll tell you a quick, quick story to put a put a point on this. So. Uh, there's a guy that I'm working with right now uh, named uh, Jay Reynolds. And Jay owns um, uh, Wolf Creek Consulting and Executive Yes, staff I know him firm. well. I know him, you know, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So we know I got to tell the truth, because now you know him, and I put his name out there. <laughs> so um, uh, Jay and I had met each other and uh, decided that we needed to, you know, sit down and chat and see what, you know, opportunities to collaborate. So we met at a McDonald's um, uh, for breakfast one morning, and during the conversation, he indicated that he was looking to, you know, do some business in Atlanta with the Atlanta airport. I said, really? Yeah. I said, okay. So uh, conversation went on, and uh, I said, well, hold on for just a second. So I picked up the phone, and I called a guy named Miguel Southwell. And Miguel Southwell was a guy who had been on the advisory board for ICABA when he was here in South Florida. And at that time, he was a deputy director of the Miami airport. Well, now he's in Atlanta, and he is the director of the Atlanta airport. So uh, I give um, Miguel a call, and he picks up, and, hey, how you doing, da-da-da-da. And I tell him, hey, I'm sitting here with this guy, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I said, if you have a moment, if you don't mind speaking to him, would you? And, um, and so he says, sure. You know, and he gets up. I said, well, I'm put you on speaker. And I put him on speaker, and I told, you know, uh, Jay, who it was, and Jay's eyes just blew up, you know, and um, and so long story short, he was able to um, do some business with the Atlanta Airport as a result of that introduction. But one of the reasons I tell that story is that uh, last week I was on a Zoom call with Jay, and he was introducing me to a couple of new people on his staff, and uh, he was saying, "This guy knows." everybody and he told that story so that's why it's kind of top of mind but fortunately you know for what we do and for people who are part of ICABA uh, that story is not if you will um, uncommon and um, um, you know I have been blessed to be able to connect a lot of people to a lot of opportunities I remember one time being in a meeting uh, an orientation session actually and um, was telling someone about you know the ability to, to, to you know build relationships through ICABA and how at one at one meeting that we had uh, one of the our advisory board members owned a um, uh, furniture company office furniture company and the other woman was deputy council general for the Bahamas and they were moving into new offices and they needed furniture long story short she ended up doing $150,000 worth of business with the guy over the next couple of months. Wow. You know? And so I, I made a comment about, you know, that situation. And, uh, um, and it just so happens that, you know, they were sitting right next to each other when we were going around doing the introduction. And so I mentioned at this orientation, well, there was a guy in the orientation who worked for uh, one of the uh, universities here. And he said, well, I could beat that. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He says, I literally have been able to generate probably close to a couple of million dollars worth of opportunities for the university through connections that I've made through ICAPA. 
Wow. You know, so, you know, and those are just off the top of my head, anecdotal, you know, kind of things that I can uh, share with you. But the real key is this relationships are the fuel that drive our success. And the goal at ICABA is to make sure that our members have a full tank of key relationships to enhance their career, business, and lifestyle success. I love it. I love it. Well, I think you've definitely made the case for why you're, <laughs> why ICABA is definitely needed. Um, but let's pivot a little bit more because I know that the topic of the podcast was really about Black businesses and mm-hmm. kind of riffing off of the Black Lives Matter concept. This idea mm-hmm. of that Black businesses matter. And mm-hmm. for some in our listening audience who are not Black, maybe they don't recognize the need of why we would have this focused talk um, and why we need the kind of focused organizations like you have. And can well, you... Keep in mind, we're a company. We're not a... Just, I always like to make sure people think sometimes that we're a business organization you are a business you are a a for-profit company yeah you are a business so Mm -hmm. so in your own words why do you think black businesses matter in the united states well i mean the bottom line kim is that small businesses particularly you know are right now represent about 47 percent of the workforce that are hired in on the payrolls of small businesses and uh, so that's huge. Yeah. And um, uh, secondly, um, in order for a community to be self-sustaining, okay, uh, you know, the pay taxes to enable the roads to be built and the water to come on and all the kind of things that we take for granted that happens because of the taxes and the government infrastructure that we have, small businesses are really key to that, whether we're talking about payroll taxes, whether we're talking about sales taxes, whether we're talking about business, uh, if you will, receipts, profits, uh, licenses, and all those kinds of things. So small businesses, you know, are critical in general. Right. And if you're into the, you know, black community, uh, if, you know, with the already legacy of oppression and pathology that we've had based upon discrimination, racism, and so on and so forth, if we didn't have businesses in our community, oh my God, I shudder to think, you know, how socially, you know, and economically, you know, deprived that we would truly be, you know, beyond where, you know, some communities of color, you know, are dealing with right now. And, you know, what's happened recently since COVID-19, we've lost 41% of Black businesses in this country. Yes. Okay. And that's a huge number. That's like 147 thousand businesses that have have, have gone under. Um, and the impact, you know, that if you know, obviously the business owners, you know, their families, the people that work for them, the landlord who rented them the space, or you know, the uh, the, the suppliers, the vendors, the lawyers, the CPAs. It's a ripple effect. So where businesses. And small businesses, medium or large, whatever size business you're talking about, but businesses are critical to the American economy. And um, and so when you've got a community that has struggled, you know, because of the legacy of racism and uh, discrimination, uh, it's really tough. Let me let me say one other thing, too, real quick. Let's put some perspective on this. You know, black households are have a net worth of only about 10 percent of white households. Okay. And so if we're ever going to catch up and people want to see, 
you know, black people to stand on their own, if you will. We, we hear sometimes, and you know, you, you don't need, you know, you, you, you're at the starting <laughs> gate just like everybody else, and your opportunity just like no, it's not okay. Oh, so Lord. you know, you can't take me when you know I was bound oh. and gagged, you know, for for four hundred years, and, and you've been out running and getting Ooh. this shit and put us in the starting line at the same point and say, okay, go. You know, and call it an equal race. No, it's not an equal race. Uh, but um, I am now working with a group here called the Venture Mentoring Team, who is just this week, you know, kind of inked, if you will, a collaborative effort with this group. And one of the things that's happened is because of the social justice issues that have becoming, you know, obviously, you know, top of mind awareness in the past couple of months, one of their members in particular said, hey, you know, we need to reach out. And they didn't have... They've got probably almost 100 mentors or 50 mentors, I know, and that are really helping businesses and doing a great job. But, you know, the group only had one black in that group. And so they said, we want to reach out and see if we can do more. So they reached out to me and got connected. And so we're going to be doing that. But one of the things their uh, founder and I talked about just yesterday is that when it comes time to start and grow a business, white people versus black people, white entrepreneur versus a black entrepreneur. Most white entrepreneurs have a friend and family round of financing yes. that can help them get going. Yes. Most black entrepreneurs do not. Yes. Most white entrepreneurs have a friend and family round of individuals who have been in business that can give them Mentoring. The guidance. Exactly. Most blacks do not. Absolutely. Okay? That's why we have to focus on black businesses. I love that. And we need to talk offline about that friends and family round, because I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of different people around the country about um, securing capital for that friends and family round and what that looks like, which leads me to the next question. But before you go to the next question, can I share something real quick? A shameless plug, but it speaks to what you're talking about. Sure. Okay. So on July 30th, uh, ICABA is having a access to capital where the money is and how to get it. And that's the name of the webinar on July 30th. And uh, we've got three speakers. Uh, one is the uh, founding executive director of Black Angels Miami, which is a new angel capital group that has started in Miami. Another one is a guy named David Wilson, who is a legendary finance investment guru in Miami. And the third one is uh, Dr. Stephen Smith, who's uh, not all these are ICABA members, but Stephen Smith, uh, just launched about two years ago, Vegan Fine Foods, and now he's franchising that, and he's been able to franchise it through leveraging the power of crowdfunding, and he's raised $700,000 in crowdfunding through WeFunder, a crowdfunding platform, and he's getting ready to go back for another round. So we're going to be talking about the different sources of capital and how to access those sources and, and, and where to get it. And I'm also going to be bringing in some folks from this venture mentoring team that I just talked to you about who have relationships with a lot of angel investors and venture capital investors. So, you know, you were really talking about capital. So I just wanted to share that to let people know. And hopefully that wasn't uh, a shameless plug after all. Well, no, I was, it, it actually was, was leading into my kind of next question was, a, which was about capital access issues and the paycheck protection program kind of debacle. Um, okay. and the, and, and the fact that we really don't in black businesses don't have that friends and family round 
but also the Paycheck Protection Program highlighted the lack of real banking relationships that Black businesses do not have, meaning we might think that because we have a line of credit or even a nice fat loan with Bank of America and uh, Citibank and Wells Fargo, but when it came down to it, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program did not prioritize small businesses, small mom and pop businesses, those primarily black owned businesses, particularly in the first round. Um, and that was a very critical um, kind of failure. And so, um, you know, this, this access to capital issue was highlighted during the COVID-19 crisis. And I'm really happy that you are dealing with that with this program at the end of July. I think crowdfunding, um, equity crowdfunding, I know a lot about it. Um, it depends on, on, you know, a lot of factors, whether equity crowdfunding is a viable option for a lot of mom and pop operations. Um, but I do think beyond just, you know, the equity crowdfunding and the angel investors, I think there is a more foundational gap, in my opinion, that's that friends and family uh, kind of seed round um, mm -hmm. that's not a lot of money that angels are never going to fill, that venture capitalists are never going to fill. Um, and, and it depends on the equity crowdfunding. If it's a, if it's a, you know, regulation CF crowdfunding round, maybe. Um, but really more like, um, uh, you know, a Kickstarter round might help with that. But there needs to be, I think, more uh, work done at that critical friends and family seed round development for black businesses. And I really don't think that's where angels, I, I don't think angels are going to fit, fit that bill. I don't think banks are going to fit that bill per se, or traditional banks are going to fit that bill. Um, equity crowdfunding. I'm on the fence about that. Some types of crowdfunding will, but we, there's a lot of work that needs to be um, had in that space and some people are coming up with ideas for like you know cds with black banks and community banks for five grand ten grand a piece that are interesting that give a nice little return etc and so forth that don't have the regulations that some types of crowdfunding have so i when i said i really do want to talk with you offline about that i do mm -hmm. because okay. there's a lot of work that i think needs to be done and it's a huge gap it's a huge gap and presently i just don't see the current remedies that are out there i just don't see them filling that hole and my concern like you is that we've lost what was that statistic that you quoted 41 percent. Yeah, 41 percent. yeah and if we had had some kind of funding that's like this friends and family five grand ten grand option those businesses probably wouldn't have closed or they would have lived to fight another day. Um, uh, and, and it's just sad. It's really sad. But I'm, I'm glad that you are at least, you know, having this event for everybody to talk about it at the end of the month. Do your shameless plug again for January or oh, July yeah. 30th. It is going to be um, on July 30th from 11 uh, a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And uh, go to 
uh, icabaworld.com, I-C-A-B as in boy, A-W-O-R-L-D.com, and all the information that you need will be there. And um, and so, you know, I, I, one of the things that this uh, COVID-19 has also, you know, pointed out, there's a couple of key things I'll say, and then I'll move on because I know there's some other things you want to cover. So relationships, relationships, relationships. I mean, relationships, you know, for anyone who's listening to this who has any doubt or lack of appreciation for relationships as it relates to your career or business success, please get over it because <laughs> it is the key. Yes, it's your to, lifeline. To, it is. And, and so and for those of you who already understand that and appreciate that, I also say to you, is your business about developing relationships? Not that that means that you have a business that you actually, that is about building relationships, but have you made it your business that building, cultivating, nurturing relationships is a priority in what you do in order to succeed in your career and your business? Because if you know relationships are important, but you are not being intentional about cultivating those relationships, then they're really not as important as you would like to think or you like others to think. And it's no different than other things. You know, we, we, we know it's, you know, it's good to eat certain things, but we don't always do that. We know it's good <laughs> not to drive without your seatbelt, but every now and then I'm just running across the street to the, you know, grocery store. I don't need it and, you know, whatever. But the point's just being is that you really have to be intentional about it. And one of the things that you, what you just talked about as it related to the banks and businesses, because in part we don't have a lot of times those coaches and those mentors yes. who have been in business yes. and they understand the nuances and the, and the real inside straight, okay? We don't really understand how you really go about building relationships with your banker. First thing is you don't build the relationship with them when you need them. Yes. You don't build the relationship when you need them, okay? You build the relationship when you don't. Banks loan money to people who they really know don't necessarily need their money. That's Very who they true. want to loan money to, okay? Matter of fact, a friend of mine told me that a banker is the kind of guy that give you an umbrella, and when it starts raining, they'll take it back. <laughs> it's so true, though. It's so true. But if you are in the business of loaning money, okay, who do you want to loan money to? People who you think can pay it back. Very true. If somebody comes to borrow some money from you, the first thing that you go through your head, either subconsciously or consciously is, will they pay me back? Right. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And if, and if you don't think they're going to pay you back, you're going to be very reluctant to loan them the money. Banks are the same way. The only difference is that is their business and they have created rules regulations, policies, and practices, and ratios, <laughs> okay, to ensure that when they underwrite a loan and determine the, the feasibility of it being paid back, that they're really good at it. So right. that the chances that they don't get paid back is very, very low, you know? And so we just have to understand what we're dealing with. They may do a lot of marketing that says, hey, we love you. Come on over here. We just want to give you everything you need for your new second mortgage. We're going to give you a low rate for the car. Oh, but your credit score needs to be 780. <laughs> exactly. So, and know, But I do but I do think, and I have to interject this because I've talked to so many banking institutions over the years, Hutch, and there has been 
so much consolidation with the big banks because I'm in the franchising space. And so if we don't work with banks, we got problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been so much consolidation that that relationship building is not as robust. The capacity to do it at larger banks is not as robust as it once was. Like it absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know the re- relationship that my grandmother had. Not to sound crazy, but it's the truth. The relationship that my grandmother had with her bankers, and the relationships that my gra- my parents had with their bankers and my grand aunts is not this doesn't even compare to what I could even hope to have with a larger bank. And I'm not saying this just to say it. I've lived it. I've walked it out. I've seen the difference. So what does that what does that mean that you what do you have to do now? I have <laughs> I don't want to put anybody on blast and I don't want to put any banks on blast. But well, I no, have, no, no. I have made a strategic decision that right. I will know I they those large major commercial banks can no longer meet my business needs. And it's no because they're and, because, which, and which banks do meet your needs now better? Com, community banks. There you go. Credit unions, correct? Yes. We we have to pivot massively, okay? massively. So, so so we don't cry about the fact that and you know what? And, and and honestly, if you're a big bank like Bank of America, so in in your case, you know Kim, you're in the franchising business. Somebody comes to you and say, "Hey, I want you to help me to get a franchise." If they want to get a franchise, and let's just say whatever your fee structure is, you're going to be able to make $10,000 off of the deal. You know, okay, $10,000. But if someone else comes to you exactly. and says, I want to do a deal, and For you can make $50,000 yeah, exactly. know, off of the exactly. deal. Exactly. And pretty much spend the same amount of time. Exactly. Okay? That's how it which, goes. Which, which one are you going to do? Of course. You're going to do the 50000 Of course. And that's the way the big banks are, you know. And so, but community banks are out there. And so part of what we have to have is that what we don't do enough of is what we're doing right now on this podcast. So who's ever listening to this podcast if if they don't know some of the things that we're talking about, this has been a real learning experience because you and I have hit on some really key things for people, whether it's career and business, you know, driven. And but the thing is, we have to spend more time having these conversations. Yes, yes. You know, I was blessed when I grew up. I, I will tell you a really quick story. I was 13 years old and got my first paycheck, and I was showing it to my mother at that particular time. My dad and some other black men in um, uh, South, in South Florida, in Louisville, were creating and organizing the first black bank in the state of Kentucky. And they were selling shares of stock in order to fund the bank. Okay? Oh, wow. So my mother said to me, oh, uh, this is great. You know, good job, Jerome. And uh, she said, you know what would really be great? So I said, what? She says, why don't you get to talk, talk to your dad and go buy a share of stock in the bank? Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. So I said, well, how much is a share of stock? <laughs> you had a great mom. You, know? you had a great mom. She said $25. I said $25. <laughs> my tape, my paycheck was for $35. <laughs> and I already had some chunk converse in my, <laughs> if you will, in my vision. I'm headed already to the store to get my Chuck Taylors. Oh, wow. Uh, 
but uh, I did end up, you know, buying that, that share of stock. And when I was 13 years old, you know, I knew what the control of currency was. Okay. And my point being that exposure it's huge. is so critical. Okay. And you hear people say that that saying about if you believe and work hard, you can achieve is absolutely true. Okay. But there is a prelim to that because you can't believe until you conceive. If you don't know better, you can't do better. And if you don't, exactly. the, the ignorant, if you, if you don't have the information and God, we need to do another podcast, like we seriously, or we need to just have this conversation offline. Cause we could go on and on and on about this. But in my humble opinion, you know, our education, whether it's K through 12 or college or even graduate school, these kinds of conversations that we are talking at having, you would never get that in a regular kind of normal education process. And thankfully, you know, your community, your tribe, your parents, you were so fortunate and blessed to have those seeds planted in you. But so many yeah. people just don't. And um, I'm glad we're having this conversation and I'm going to do a shameless plug for anybody who really feels like they need to um, expose themselves more to these kinds of relationships. You need to join a Kaaba, you particularly if you're in South Florida, but also Hutch, you have other um, networks all over all over. Don't well, you? yeah, I, I would, you know, I'm glad you said that because Wherever you are, you need to join ICABA. We just had a member join from Boston uh, yesterday. And um, um, we have people, we have a, uh, a market uh, chapter in Atlanta. And two months ago, uh, we launched what I jokingly refer to as uh, uh, LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> and. Uh, So, you know, it's funny. I can almost kind of judge how social media savvy somebody is or how quickly they get that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It's cute. And uh, But it's not called LinkedIn, so folks don't go looking for it, all right? It's called ICABAworld.com. But I use that term, LinkedIn, as a way to immediately kind of get people's attention so they realize it's a black version of LinkedIn. And um, And so we need and now have our own, if you will, online trusted community for us and delivering the kinds of connections, information and opportunities that we need and in a culturally relevant and trusted space. I will always be on LinkedIn as long as it continues to be, if you will, of value as it is today. And I'm not suggesting anyone not stay on LinkedIn. But what I am suggesting is that we, God bless a child that has its own. And we definitely have to be intentional, intentional, and intentional about doing things that eventually give us our own thing. Absolutely. And so what is the website again? Just go to icabaworld.com, I-C-A-B-A-W-O-R-L-D.com. And uh, you can go right there and it'll take you, it'll show you what's going on in terms of an overview of Icaba, what we do. And click join, and it will take you to uh, the uh, community, which is basically the 
members section or the community section, like uh, if you will, going into like a LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Hutch. We have really gone over time, but there was so much that needed to be said. And I'm glad we had this conversation. Hopefully it will be the beginning of a lot of conversations, both in podcast form, in your network, offline, um, because we are in crisis uh, in the United States. But crisis, thankfully, also is a wonderful opportunity to address critical issues like this one. So thank you so much for your time. And to the listening audience, here's to your success. Have a great day. Thank you. If you already have a proven business model, but have concerns about the best way to grow and scale, then you should contact the experts at New Day Consulting Systems. New Day uses innovative techniques to 10 times the impact of your business. Your local business can become a regional, national, or international enterprise. New Day Consulting Systems will show you how. For more information and to get started with New Day, visit the website at newdayconsultingsystems.com. One word, newdayconsultingsystems.com. To get your business off the ground and into orbit, contact New Day today. Business Scale Insights with Kimberly Marie Bonner. To get her personal attention to you and your empire, go to businessscaleinsightsnetwork.com. That's businessscaleinsightsnetwork.com. And tune in again next week for more from Kimberly Marie Bonner with Business Scale Insights.